Tonight's Bible reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Chloe. And good evening, everyone. Wonderful to see you all. There's, there's more of you here tonight, which is wonderful. So great we can all be together. To those that are on live stream, uh, wonderful that you can gather with us in this capacity as well. We are going to explore that passage together, so have it open with you, uh, Romans chapter 12. And just to kind of echo what Andrew was saying before, um, yes, I'm that Matt guy he was referring to, but it is a wonderful joy to be part of this community and uh, to see us grow into likeness of Christ together. And yes, our door is always open, or for most of us that means a phone call or a message, but we do long to care for you and to see us together uh, grow into likeness of Christ and be an impact in this world for, for God's glory. But with that, let's approach God's word tonight, and I'm going to pray for me and especially for all of us. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that reveals who you are and what it means for us to be your people. Father, we pray tonight that as we approach it, that as I speak and preach from it, that you will speak through me. And that, Holy Spirit, you'll be at work in the lives of each of us here in the room and across the screen so that we grow into the likeness of Christ and live out the community which you've called us to. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm sure many of you would agree that over the last two years has been some of the most significant and formative times of our life, right? That this kind of COVID pandemic has been a real significant thing that we've experienced together. And in many ways, it's touched, it feels like almost every part of our life, right? The way that we live, the way that we work, the way we interact with one another, we, the way we go to uni. It seems like no part of our life has been spared by the impacts of the pandemic. But I wonder, amongst all those things that have changed and impacted you, what has impacted you the most? What is it, has been the time that you have felt like you've been most affected? I think for many of us, it's that time of strict lockdown. Right? The lockdown time, like even that word, it kind of was a bit of a shudder for me, like that thought of lockdown. Because what happened during lockdown was like our community was taken away from us. We were disconnected from one another, reduced to the, the digital world, past memories of engaging with one another, the future hope of what it could be. But our community was taken away. And we really felt it, didn't we? Like we really felt 
not being a part of one another's lives in a physical capacity. We felt the absence of a hug, the absence of a person putting their arm around you. We felt the absence of someone being able to look into your eyes with an affirming word and a word of encouragement. Like we felt the, the absence of people being able to come to our home about having a coffee together with someone. We really felt the absence of community and we longed for connection with others. Like when it came out of lockdown, I'm sure you heard many people say something along the lines of, this season really helped us to see what was important in life. People hear those kind of comments? This is what's important. And heaps of times that came down to something to do with community, something to do with people and the way that we connect with one another. Even for those of us who are introverted, right, who enjoy space to ourselves, we still wanted to be part of community. We really missed it. There's some part of us that's deep within our identity where we need to know who we belong to, where we belong. One like small example, and Ange kind of alluded to this before, but uh, is in young adult sign-up camp. Young adult sign-up for camp. Now in there, there's a, the second last question is uh, along the lines of what would you want to be an outcome of camp? And let me read you a couple of responses because they all have something along the lines of growing in community. Meeting new people. Developing deeper relationships with the other young adults, becoming closer with others in the church community, enjoying friendship, creating Christ-centered friendships. Like there's heaps of factors that go along with what's going on with those comments. But there's a deep need, at least with the young adults community, to want to be connected to one another, to be part of community. And I think that's not just a young adult thing, that's a human thing. That's something that we all need, we all crave, we all long for. And the thing about that felt need is that that just didn't come as a result of COVID. COVID didn't make us suddenly feel the need for community. The pandemic, the lockdowns, that just brought that deep need to the surface. It made it vividly known, vividly felt. Because some of us have been feeling that need for community for, for years. Well, we felt lonely. Well, we felt disconnected. Well, we felt a bit transient, not really like rooted in a particular group of people. And we all have that deep, that human need to belong, to have community. Now that felt need and something that we experience, it actually extends all the way back to creation. All the way back to when God created humans, humanity. In the narrative back in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam and he's looking for a companion, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God goes about creating a companion, and he creates a woman, Eve, a person for him to rule with, a person to be united to, a person to be fruitful with and multiply to then grow and produce this community. Like right at the outset of humanity, God designed us and intended us to be in community, not to be alone. Foods for eating, cars are for driving, humans are for community. Now, as humans, we also have, we're designed for a relationship with God and to bring him glory. But he's definitely intently designed us to be together, to be united as a people. Now, we know as, we, as you go through just the story of Genesis even, and then throughout the Old Testament, that that community gets severed. Right? In Genesis chapter 3, the Adam and Eve sin against God, they rebel. And then the result of that is human relationship is also broken. 
Get to Genesis 4 and there's murder. It goes down 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's downward spiral as the community breaks apart with violence and all sorts of bad things. And then as we see in the rest of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament up until Jesus, is God on this mission. God on this mission to want to restore, redeem humanity. Back to God, back to one another, back to the community which he desires. And ultimately, we know that happens in the person of Jesus. That's the climax of the story. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection makes it possible for us to be redeemed, to be saved back into relationship with God and then back into relationship with one another. Because a new way is born. A new humanity is created in Christ. Now, to cast your mind back two weeks, or if you weren't here two weeks ago, Ange preached on Together in Christ. And we looked through Ephesians, and Ange was saying how we have a new identity that is in Christ. That is who we are, what our identity now is. And that identity being in Christ is actually the bedrock for this loving community. That's where it starts. Because we become united to Christ... And as all of us become united to Christ, all united to him individually, as we unite to him, we are united to one another. Like a vine or a tree, you can look at the tree out there, there's all different leaves on the tree or on a vine, but they're all connected to one another. All part of the same thing, but all connected. And so we have this deep need for community. And we see we have been created for it and then redeemed for community. Now, as we read before, we're going to explore Romans chapter 12. Now, as it was read, as Chloe read it, I don't know if you, but it feel like a bit of a, a barrage of these beautiful, good things, just one after the other after the other, um, of commands or, or ethics for us to live out. It seems a bit erratic, but what Paul has actually done is he's built on all the things that he said in the first 11 chapters. And in those first 11 chapters of Romans, in sort of terms, Paul has been explaining that big story of God. Big story how he has been redeeming a people back for himself, this new community of what it means to be in Christ. The coming of the Holy Spirit and how he enables that. And then chapter 12 is the transition in the letter. And chapter 12 is then saying, okay guys, you are now saved. You are now part of the family of God. Now let's live that out. This is what it looks like for us as the people of God to be in community, what it looks like for us uh, to live together. So I think the helpful way for us to approach this passage tonight uh, is to think of it a bit, like a, a bit like a picture of what loving community is. Each verse is like a characteristic in and of itself, kind of like a puzzle piece. And there's all these different puzzle pieces that all come together to form a beautiful picture of what loving community is like. Now, there isn't a great deal of organization that goes along uh, with this chapter. There's a little bit. Uh, And if you do have your outline, if you flip over, there's a list of 20 things. Now, I didn't add any words or take any away. I just added the numbers. And there's 20 things there that uh, Paul has called us to. But I want to point out one, or the key overarching principle, and that is love. From the outset, we can see that Christian community is all about Love. He starts with that in verse 9. Love must be sincere. And that's what all those then 20 things extend out of. Love pervades them all. Because for the Christian, for us, we are defined by love. 
Jesus, when he was walking this earth, he was doing his teaching, showing us the way. That's what he was all about. And he said this in uh, John chapter 13, talking to his disciples before he died in the Last Supper, uh, before he rose again. In In chapter 13, he says, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then as we look throughout the letters, as Paul writes, as Peter, James, all these people that wrote our Bible for us, we see that them applying that consistently, constantly throughout God's word. To just pick out a few things, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians and says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And then he goes on in Colossians and he talks about all these beautiful virtues that come about as a result of being in Christ And he says, above all these virtues, put on love, the thing that binds us together in perfect unity. Why? Because this is the way of Jesus. This is who he was. We're created to be in him, and that's who we become. And in Romans 12, this is very much about the practical application of that, what it looks like for us to live out this loving community. If you're into tweeting, then Paul has just kind of been smashing out 20 tweets about he's just got love on the mind, love and community, and this is what it could look like. And then he goes at it. So with this theme of love, uh, there's heaps of good application to take away. Our journey together is going to be about exploring a couple key principles and then drilling down on a few particular verses together. We'll hone in on a couple. But the first thing I want to highlight about kind of the, the thing as a whole is that this love is authentic. It is a love that is genuine. As it says in verse 9, it is sincere. It's a love that doesn't expect something in return. You don't love in order that something comes back to you. It's a love that doesn't have kind of ulterior motives. It's not hypocritical. And it's authentic. Now, when I think of authentic, uh, I immediately think of fashion. Now, I know if anybody knows me, that is a really strange thing for me to think about. But I've been to Indo a couple of times. And uh, when I was a bit younger, first time I went there, there's all these stores that pop up and they're selling like football jerseys and basketball jerseys. And I'm like, oh, wow, look, look at all these like cheap jerseys. Oh, I want to have one of those. But as you go in there and you look at these jerseys, you, you, you feel them, you look at them, they're all fake. They're all a hoax. Like the badge is a bit askew, the, the material wears out quickly, it's nowhere near as good. It doesn't last, it's not the real thing. Now, when someone's love is authentic, when someone's love is real, then it is not a hoax. It's not manipulative. It's not uh, concerned with some kind of ulterior motive. It doesn't hide anything. It's a love that expresses itself uh, and is real and unquestioned. Like when you have a look through the verses, it says like to be devoted to one another, joyful, patient, faithful, not repaying evil for evil. All those things, to actually continue to live them out, that's authentic. It's real, it's genuine. You can't fake that continuously. There is no hope of doing that. And the thing about this kind of authentic love is that it is enduring. It doesn't just stop. It keeps on going. Now, in the Greek, as these things are written, it's written in this tense called the present continuous. But what that means is that these verbs, these, uh, these ethics to live out, they're not just things that we do once. 
Not something that you just do in the past or something that we just do in the future or just as a one-off. It's something that we do in the current moment all of the time. Something that we continuously do. It's ongoing. So to pick up just one of those things, if you have a look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Right? To be devoted to one another, that's, that's never to give up. To always have them as your concern. To keep loving, to keep giving, to keep serving, no matter the cost or the situation. Now, is anyone here a, a doggy supporter? Oh, yes. I thought we were going to get crickets. Because they are horrible at the moment. They are going terrible. However, the doggy supporters are devoted, right? They still go to the games. They still wear the jersey. They still turn up in the rain when they're versing the roosters. They know they're going to lose because that's the better team. But they keep going, right? They're devoted to their team, no matter what the situation or the outcome. And that's what we are called to be. We're called to have a love like that. A love that doesn't stop because we just don't feel like it anymore. Because love is an action, something that we do. It isn't defined by what we receive in return. It isn't defined by the circumstance. It is always devoted towards the other person. And isn't that just a beautiful and a comforting and encouraging thing? It brings us great security to know that our Christian brothers and sisters are going to be devoted to us. It gives us so much more confidence and we know we have the support to continue to move forward. There's no fear in someone who you know is devoted to you. There's no fear of feeling judged or feeling neglected or being pushed to the side. We're devoted. And that is an authentic kind of love. A loving community has a sincere love which is authentic. Now the other element that I think really sings out across all these verses is that it's so outward focused. So many of these things are from us towards someone else, outward, directed towards the other person. Again, you just cast your eye over them, devoted to one another, honor one another, share with those in need, practicing hospitality, faithful in prayer, rejoicing or mourning with others, living in harmony, not pride in self by, and, not associate, and associating with others in lower positions. Like all these commandments, they're just practical applications of what it looks like to, to love others, to be other person focused, to be humble, to be sacrificial, just like our Lord Jesus was and continues to be. And to pick up on one of those verses, verse 13, uh, it says, to share with the Lord's people who are in need and to practice hospitality. Now, when it comes for us to sharing with those in need, I think we really get that. We hear it often as we should. Uh, especially for those who are brothers and sisters, we see someone who is in need, we care for them. We act, we do something tangible in order to support and uh, meet their need at that time. But what about hospitality? Why, why does that one make it into the list? What's so important about hospitality? Now, when I naturally kind of think about hospitality, I'm thinking about like inviting kind of friends and family over to my house, being nice and them, being warm, cooking, cooking a meal, something like that. And that certainly is hospitality. But in the Bible... Hospitality extends far beyond that. Hospitality is about using our money, it's about using our time, and it's about using our space, whatever that looks like, your home, your bedroom, something around your, uh, your place, for those who are in need. Your money, your time, and your space. And it's for the new person to care for them, 
someone who's not quite um, fitting in for whatever reason, for the traveller, for the outcast, for the itinerant Christian missionary or whoever it may be, for those who are in poverty. Like when we do this, when we especially care for those who are marginalised, for those who are needy, it's just one of the most beautiful things that we can do as a Christian community, a loving expression of God to others in the context of community. So how can I, how can we, how can us continue to either begin or kind of bolster our hospitality? It can be to just invite people over to your home and whatever that looks like for you in your space. Someone who maybe you perhaps wouldn't usually, someone who would really appreciate that. Maybe it's offering a spare bed so someone could sleep in your home because they don't have one or they need one for the night. Simple thing, one of my lecturers this week, there was a person who lived kind of about two hours away and this person had um, a class finishing at 9.30 so he wasn't getting home until like 11.30, closer to midnight. And the lecturer just offered, hey, I live close to the college, you're welcome to, we have a spare bed, come and use that. Just a simple thing, offering hospitality to someone. But it also can be other things, maybe a bit more significant. But there's places of... uh, organizations which care for people in domestic violence situations, people who need emergency housing, people who need one night, two nights, three nights where they're housed in an emergency fashion to then be set up somewhere else. Like what a way for us to use our home, to use our space in order to care for others. Now hospitality, it can take so many different forms, so many different ways um, to express it. But at its heart, it's about sacrificing for someone else. And it's definitely going to cost. It's going to cost your time, your money, your space. But it's an absolutely beautiful way of expressing community. And we experience some of the joy that goes along with that along the way. And to kind of come, to come back to this passage, when you look at it over in one big go, I think it can be very much summarized this way. That loving community is others-focused, and it is Christ-directed. That's what a loving community is. It has other people in their focus, in our focus, and it's directed by our identity, our relationship with Christ. See, our identity with Christ, that is the foundation. That is the driver. That's the fuel. That's the motivation, the reason to have a lifestyle, to seek to love others. And if that doesn't come first, we're going to be in all sorts of trouble. Because if that doesn't come first, it becomes just about us, just becomes just about you. And when things get hard, which they're certainly going to be, when we don't get results, when we're not seeing things flourish as much as we would hope, when things go wrong, they're extremely hard. If we don't have Christ as our identity, our driver, we're probably going to stop. And maybe more than stop, we're going to start to resent it. And that's even a greater fear. Perhaps resenting God, resenting his church, resenting ourselves maybe. If it's not built on the right foundation of our identity being in Christ. That is why it's so important. That comes as the Christ is the driver and it's other person centered. See, our love for God is expressed in love to others. And can you imagine? And I know we've done this in part, we continue to do it in this moment. I hope we continue to grow in it. But imagine we continue to do that. Imagine we live out Romans 12. We are the community that embodies these things consistently. Imagine the kind of community that's cultivated as a result of that. Where I'm seeking you to flourish, 
You're seeking me to flourish. Together we're seeking each other to flourish in our relationship with God and in the community and what God has called us to do. That's going to be a community of forgiveness, a community of grace, a community that's obviously got love as its central thing. Community filled with hope, a community filled with inclusion, all centered on God and his glory and for our good. And when that happens, the church is just this wonderful, beautiful uh, vision of what God has called us to. And we are called to together to live that out, to be people that are on about that vision. We have felt the need for community. We know it. We see that God's created us and they've redeemed us for community. And now we've seen part of what that looks like to live it out. And our role is then empowered by the Holy Spirit to go, to go as Jesus would and form this church that is uh, built on him and empowered by the Holy Spirit. However, I do want to say that this is extremely challenging. Of course, that is hard. And give perhaps a little bit of a warning that certainly stuck out to me as I was preparing. Because as we hold up this vision of the church, as we hold up this wonderful, good, great vision that God has called us towards, we have to remember we're not in the perfected state yet. Christ hasn't returned. And so we need to balance these kind of heavenly aspirations with the earthly reality. Because we're not perfect. Our relationships are not perfect. There's sin, there's corruption, there's evil still at work. We live in this kind of in-between time. And as we strive for this loving community, sometimes it's frustrating when we don't see things grow, when we don't see it expressed how we see it uh, in the Bible. And in that moment in the mess, that's the soul crafting. That's the hard work. We need to remember to keep our focus on what Christ has called us to in love, love for people. And I came across this quote by Bonhoeffer in his, one of his writings called Life Together. Uh, and he speaks to this danger uh, quite well. I'll read you the quote. It should be on the screen. He says, Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Now what he's saying there is don't love the dream of your church over the church. Just love the church. The people, right? The church is the people. It's not the building, it's us. We are the church. And he's saying don't just get caught up in the vision of the clouds of what the church could be. Love the people. That is the vision. That is what God has called us to do. And for those of us who are on board with this thing that God has called us towards, it can be incredibly frustrating. It can be painful. Sometimes it can make us angry when we're not seeing people, ourselves, our community flourish into what God has called us to. And so friends, I want to encourage me, I want to encourage us, is don't just love the vision, love the people, love the church. That is what the vision is all about. Love is going to be in the mess, it's going to be amongst failings. It's loving the person that's sitting next to you, the one that you find a little bit irritating, the one that you find a bit painful, the one that you're aspiring to, to grow and become like. All these things. And in each situation, we keep stepping in, in line with the Holy Spirit into what he's calling us uh, to be, even when we're not there quite yet. And I realize very much so, as we go and we live this out, that love and community is going to be inconvenient. It's going to be extremely uncomfortable, and it's going to take time. For sure, there's heaps of beauty about living this out, but this is a calling that's going to be inconvenient. Do things that we don't necessarily naturally want to do. Things that are going to be hard. Because all these practices in Romans chapter 12, 
We don't just naturally do these things. We're certainly not going to naturally do them all the time. There's an element at times we've got to be inconvenienced in order to love other people. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's turning up to home group. It's caring for someone in their home, whatever they need. It's turning up for a person. It's listening to that person where we don't really care about the actual conversation, but we care about them. It's sacrificing our time, our space, our money, as we were saying before, for the good of others and the glory of God. And amongst all this kind of vision, we know it doesn't happen overnight. This is a a process. Now, Elizabeth and I, that's my wife, uh, we've been doing a little bit of gardening in in the back of our home, and we planted a tomato tree, well, not tree, it's a vine, planted a tomato vine, getting our green thumbs on. But man, it's hard work to get fruit to grow. I don't know if any of you have been engaged in kind of gardening, but it, it's hard work. It takes time. You've got to prune. The caterpillars come and eat the tomatoes. It feels like there's some rats that have come in as well. You've got to treat the things. You've got to care for it. You've got to water it when it doesn't rain. Like, it's messy. It's hard work. It takes time. But, man, there's a wonderful, beautiful delight when those red Roma tomatoes, they come and you take it by, you eat it. The kids go up, they take one, they eat it. It's a beautiful, it's a delightful thing. And as we eat the fruit, as we eat that tomato, we know no matter how much we lave it over that vine, God is the one who actually made that tomato grow. And it's the same with our community. It's the same with our relationship with one another in Christ. That sure, we labor, we tour, we work in step with the Holy Spirit, but he is the one who is driving it. He is the one who actually brings the growth. And friends, this is a beautiful vision of, the, of what God has called us to do. Something that we do as individuals, but in the context of one another. Something that we do together. Like Jesus said, people will know that we are his disciples by the way that we go and we love one another. We're called to be a community that is outward focused, that is Christ driven. And friends, when we do that, that is going to bring incredible blessing to us, but amazing glory to our God. Because it's a glory that's not sung, it's a glory that's not spoken. It's a glory that is seen, that is experienced, that is felt. Something that's tangible, something that's going to be praiseworthy in its nature. And God will get incredible glory for that and we are going to be blessed along the way and see his kingdom be lived out in this world until Jesus comes again. Now that's a wonderful thing to look forward to. It's going to be a labor, something we do together. And we're certainly going to need the Holy Spirit and the work of God in our heart to do it. So let me pray. Our loving God, we thank you so much that you've created us for community, that you didn't cast us aside when we casted you aside, but you pursued us and then you've sought to redeem us and you've done that in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the coming of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've made us your church. This is your church, God, and we pray that we will become this loving community that you've called us to. Please, please help us to be forgiving, to have grace, to bear with one another to be people who are just so characterized by love that when they see us, they will see you. And they'll see that clearly this church and all the churches around us and across the world are people that are changed, shaped, loved by you. And that others will want to know who you are and become part of your church too. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.